pretty bad Godzilla there. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> that was me trying to be Godzilla. Welcome to episode 80 of Comical Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Corbett, and with me is... The Brown from out of town. The Clown with no frown. Lord Rocktocles! You know, you're still in H-Town. I don't live in H-Town, sir. <laughs> this is not H-Town. Yeah, this is technically H-Town. No, sir. Where do you live? I'm from a one-horse town known as The Stable. <laughs> That's ridiculous. No, it's not. <laughs> have you not seen my Twitter account? It's the stable. I have seen your Twitter account. Uh, we do have a special guest on this week's episode, and no, I'm not talking about you or the, your new identity. <laughs> uh, I'm talking about Alish Cott, who's a, a writer that we both greatly respect and are, are very happy to have him on the show. But he's going to be joining us a little bit later. Uh, we're going to start things off by talking about our favorite comics of the week. Okay. So what were your top two this week, Miguel? All right. Number two, Tech Jacket. Number 10. Oh, yeah. From Joe Keating and Carrie Randolph. I, the book is just amazing. They team up to try to fight the evil entity, and, you know, they have no chance in hell. We already knew this because he already whooped their ass earlier, and he came up with the solution. We need to do what's never been done before. Yeah. But sadly, before you can do hey, that, Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll form the head. <laughs> it was too late, brother. It was. Uh, if you never read Tech Jacket before, it was actually a series that was created by Robert Kirkman back in the early 90s, I believe. Uh, but he hasn't been writing it for a long time. This current run has been written by Joe Keating, and I really love his take on the character. Friend of the show. Uh, it's really a lot of fun. It's about a younger kid. He's like an early teenager who gets this space-worthy battle suit, and he kind of goes out there and, and fights against uh, threats to the galaxy, threats to Earth. Anyways, in this current arc, he's teamed up with the other Geldarians, the people from the planet that made his tech jacket, and they're fighting against this ancient evil that's coming to basically end all existence. And, you know, it's it's a okay issue up until the very end. You know, they're planning out what to do, how they're going to attack. They do have kind of a Voltron moment, which is funny. Uh, but the very last page was just so shocking and so unexpected. He gets attacked. That shit don't happen to Voltron, man. <laughs> I'm just saying. He gets attacked one-on-one by this other entity that's uh, seeking revenge and just gets messed up really bad. And actually, when I tweeted about it, I said, wow, that last page. And Joe Keating tweeted me back and just said, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty damn funny. <laughs> uh, it was a really good issue. You done messed up your world. It didn't quite crack my top three because there was so many good books this week. Oh, some good books. But uh, yeah, if you've never read Tech Jacket, I highly recommend picking up the trades. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Hey, what was your number two? Uh, my number two is actually Southern Bastards number nine from Jason Aaron and Jason Latour. That's a good book, too. Uh, it's the start of a new arc. You know, we're following a football player who's grown up and become the sheriff of the town. And you get to learn a little bit about his backstory. You get to learn about some of the things that Coach Boss did to him when he was a star football player that kind of indebted him to working for Coach Boss. Piece of shit. Yeah, Coach Boss is really a piece of work. <laughs> He's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, you get to find out more about this guy. You get to find out how his life is completely worthless and how he hates everything. And it's just a really good standalone issue. But not only that, it's a great start to this upcoming arc. That was actually my pick of the week. Nice. Okay. So what was your number one then? Oh, man. Number one, uh, <laughs> God Hates Astronauts number nine. Such an amazing book. So many memorable moments. Dick Sprong. <laughs> Punch to the nuts. 
Hippo, he fights King Tiger eating a cheeseburger, and that's one hellacious fight. <laughs> and it's freaking awesome. God hates astronauts number nine. He was actually my number one as well. He gave uh, him the 11s. <laughs> Ryan Brown's just been killing it with the series. You know, there's so many cool sound effects in the book, which is what I love most about it. You know, like when they do the, the trampoline jump off the guy's dick, <laughs> and the sound effect is dong sprong. Dong sprong. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he, he punches the other guy in the dick, and it says cock shock. Or, 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 <laughs> and he uppercuts him, and he goes, sprong. <laughs> There's just a lot of really fun sound effects in the book, and a lot of really fun characters interacting. you got five different versions of Starrier running around. you got the big head version, the for, the future hippo version. you got the ghost hippo version. you got the normal version. And, you know, just, just craziness going on, which is what God Hates Astronauts is all about. It's all about weird, wacky, ridiculous, fun stuff happening. And I've loved it since the very beginning, and I continue to love it all the way to issue nine. Shit, the only thing that was missing was Simon. Yeah. <laughs> really? It was, I mean, Pandora's in there. I mean, and then also, that last page, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> this was definitely one of those weeks where there was a lot of, whoa, what the hell moments on the last page of a lot of books. I know. It's like they all got together. Let's all do this. Let's, let's <laughs> mind fuck everybody. <laughs> Very cool. So what was your pick of the week then? Well, pick of the week, I already told you, was Southern Bastard number nine. What oh, was yeah, yours? Okay. My pick of the week was actually Alex and Ada number 15 from Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn. Much love, man. Robot, uh, <laughs> Mexican robo love. Throwback to Mexican robo love back on issue five. Uh you know, Alex and Ada of one of those kind of stories that was really depressing for the last three or four issues, and you didn't really know if the characters were going to have a happy ending. And I'm not even the kind of guy who always roots for characters that have a happy ending. I like some stories where the villains win. I like some stories where things just fall apart and they don't ever achieve their goals. But in this one, I was kind of pulling for a little bit of happiness. And, you know, it wasn't perfect. Alex did go to jail for 25 years. That and, sucked. And, you know, when he got out, Ada was dismantled. <laughs> So it took a little bit for them to get back to that happy place, but uh, they did. And it was really well handled, and it was just a really endearing story. Uh, it's a great miniseries all around. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. And it, I was glad it ended the way it did. It made me, it made me brought a little tear to the eye. That's, that's good stuff. I agree. Sad it's over, though. Me too. <laughs> and that's pretty much it for this week's comics reviews. So we're going to go ahead and get Alish in here and, uh, here you go. Hey, guys. We're joined by Alish Cott, the writer of several series, including Zero, The Surface, most recently Material, and the upcoming book, Wolf. How are you doing today, Alish? Hi. Um, I'm pretty good. Um, I've been having a very strange week, but I'm having a pretty decent afternoon. Cool. <laughs> We've had a pretty strange week ourselves. How come? Well, we had a tropical storm that was supposed to come and hit us in Houston, and it sort of didn't actually manifest. Uh, you know, there's big panic. People were running out and buying all the water up at grocery stores, and you went anywhere, and it was just chaos. But no storm actually came. I mean, it rained a little bit, but it was no worse than a standard thunderstorm. <laughs> Fascinating. That's, yeah, it's, we're, we're in a new era of weather. We're in a era of weather where people are almost afraid of the sky, which is really interesting. Um, wow. Well, I'm glad I missed you. Yeah, us too. <laughs> we had bad flooding Memorial Day. This weird freak storm where three different storm groups merged together and just kind of flooded everything. So we were all afraid that this storm was going to make it do the same thing, but that didn't end up happening, which is good. Well, that's why everybody went out and got all that stuff, because yeah. they thought it was going to be Lake Houston again. Yeah, everybody had to repair. <laughs> I mean, how many people died? Six, I think. Yeah, it was bad. Well, on a lighter note. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing it down, man. <laughs> Let's talk some comics. Uh, Alish, you know, we just got done talking about the books we like from this past week. Have you read anything recently that you've enjoyed? 
Actually, you know, um, I like a decent amount, but I haven't read much uh, in terms of comics lately. I mean, the things that I really reread the most lately were my own work. But that's you know that doesn't really necessarily count that way because that was for dissecting and working from various things. I guess the last thing that I read that I actively really enjoyed would be um, BPRD. I started getting those big omnibus collections, um, or I don't know if you've caught, but those like big soft cover collections of BPRD. I find it and Hellboy. I find them really, really wonderfully atmospheric and playful and. Um, sometimes they're a little bit too decompressed for my liking and not much necessarily happens and not in a way where I feel like it, uh, does much for the atmosphere either, but for most part, they're really hitting it out of the park and I'm really enjoying it. Um, so that would be one. I also read a lot of Mark Miller's work lately and I really like a lot of Mark Miller's work, um. Uh, I think the last thing that I read of this was Starlight, which I found very pleasant. Um, you know, in some ways, utterly predictable, but at the same time, you can tell that he's really having fun with the tropes that he's playing with. And uh, Goran Parloff is one of the most interesting artists working in comics, as far as I'm concerned. So those were some of the latest comics that I read. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, let's talk about you then. Let's talk about uh, what's been going on with you and Material and Wolf. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what those series are all about? Uh, okay. Um, material doesn't really have a, some sort of an easy in uh, the way, you know, uh, people describe easy ends when it comes to um, a sort of like an ad slogan that they can use, that they can just tell you everything about and hook you. I didn't want to do something like that because I find the practice pretty fucking condescending. Um, in a lot of you know, in a lot of places, I sometimes see a comic and I think, well, why are you trying it to sell it to me? Why don't you just make the comic? And sometimes it fits. Sometimes the marketing and everything sort of fits the book. But in materials case, it was very much a feeling of that's something I want to avoid. That's something I don't want to do. And the reason why I don't want to do that is because material for me is a comic that I'm writing to sort of keep myself sane. And um, it's a reflection of things that are happening around us in the world. Um, it's done entirely in nine-panel grid. So, you know, um, it's like me and Alan Moore and then everyone else. Um, it's uh, done in very, very strict rhythm where uh, there's every scene has two pages and there are four characters that always switch the scenes. And it's about uh, many different people in the first four issues, primarily in America, a uh, university professor who might be having a serious conversation with um, real alien intelligence uh, descended from a spam bot, uh, an actress who might be getting a nice career bump, uh, if she manages to keep it together, um, there's a kid who uh, gets kidnapped by cops off from demonstration and gets uh, put into the Homeland Square detention facility, which is essentially an illegal police facility that uh, is really uh, still running in Chicago. 
And uh, the first story is about a guy who comes home from Guantanamo and realizes that he can only get off through uh, extreme torture after being detained for uh, for years and being tortured uh, by the U.S. government. So it's fun. Um, <laughs> it's um, it actually is fun. I think that the comic works on a story level and simultaneously works as a mirror. Primarily, it's really a thing where I feel that it adheres less to any sort of ideas about storytelling and more to ideas about poetry and uh, how poetry works and how things rhyme and mix and merge and conjure images and feelings and thoughts. And that's something that was always a conscious decision because um, I basically said it before, uh, everything is material as far as the book goes hence the name, and uh, Will Tempest is an art, and uh, coloring, and he's wonderful, Clayton Cowles letters everything, and Tom Mueller does the brilliant covers. I'm really happy with it. I think it's one of the best things I've ever written. Well, two things for you, Ellis. Uh, number one, material is interesting and different in regards to some of the books that we read where you have that one character. Uh, and they, even though you have other characters around him, you know which is the main character. With yours, you have those four characters, and it's kind of like, huh. So we have four like four main characters, and it's interesting. You kind of like, as a reader, you're like, okay, I kind of think the professor is okay. You know, this dude has got to get himself off hard way. It's kind of like, whoa. It's just interesting that you know we have. You get to figure out which one you really like. I mean, which reader you really care more about instead of just being this one guy, and that's all you're going to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, in life, it's like um, these people are not really characters to me. They're people. And um, in life, I prefer not deciding who I like more and who I like less. Certainly not on an everyday life level. You know, I I can like or dislike someone's actions, but I don't want to make judgments calls. Judgment calls on people like that, unless they're doing something extremely shitty. And... That's sort of a part of what it's about. It's um, a lot of material for me is about empathy and about exploring empathy and how it works and um, and exploring perception. And you can't really explore empathy and perception unless you're fully, I think, unless you're exploring various, various experiences uh, that are rich in their nature and greatly vary. And so, because of that, I wanted to create stories that would be different. I wanted to create, I wanted to find people who would be very different. And I wanted to see what happens when they are put next to each other and start reflecting each other in interesting ways. And, yeah, I definitely want to follow that. You made a point to say that these four characters are all in America. Are you going to be taking the book overseas? You know, that's something that I feel undecided about, but I will wager that the answer is likely yes for the simple reason of me not really living in a world that I where um, state lines are the things I consider the most. I think it's actually true for most um, internet and post-internet generations which is we don't really respect the state and we actually know that the state is largely a very false and empty institution and that means that a lot of things that it presents are very false, and state lines are uh, some of those things. Also, we don't know so much more about history and know so much more about how these things are very temporary 
and not at all firm. So my thinking and my feeling tells me that it's totally going to be changing depending on that. And certain stories and bits and pieces are pointing in that direction too. It seems like you have you throw caution to the wind. You're not afraid to hit any any tough subject, which is really cool and really refreshing because a lot of people are afraid to do that, and you don't. And that's that's really really cool. Thank you. Myself and Justin here, we really don't pull any punches when we we do things. We talk, uh, but it, we get into so much trouble with just certain things we say. It's really ridiculous. But like I said, I I, I can't wait to see where you take this book. Uh, it's it's interesting. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I had to read it twice. Yeah, that was, oh, that's great. that was something I wanted to say, too, is that a lot of your stuff, Alish, is, is very different from anything else we read. We read somewhere between 25 and 40 comic books every single Wednesday because we do reviews for the show. And pretty much anything you write, I have to read twice because there's so much more to it than just a surface-level story. Uh, even with Zero, even with the, the surface, you know, uh, coincidentally. But uh, anything you write, I tend to read more than once because I don't get the full effect the first read-through. That's wonderful. Well, that's exactly my intent, and that was always my intent since the first thing I've ever written, uh, since we're all children, because I don't want to give you a simple, basic experience that's not going to do anything deep to you. I want to give you um, the best stories are really, for me, the stories that resonate on a very deep level and change something. They feel like they're changing something in me by my process of reading them. And in order to do that, um, I have to think about things like layering and about uh, not repeating myself unless I have something new to say or something new to explore. And I have to think about how it's going to interact with the world. doesn't mean that I should be uh, modifying things to uh, make someone specifically happy unless that someone is me. But it, um, I need to make sure that the story does that thing where it comes back because that's what the best stories really work like for me. I want to reread them. I want to go back. It's like um, the same way when uh, you might go on a walk. You're going to go, at some point you might go, holy shit, I just like sometimes I forget how interesting and weird and beautiful, you know, the world outside of my windows is. And... You just go thinking, holy fuck, I just want to just like stand around and look at something for five minutes and realize that nothing in nature is ever in one state only, but that it changes continuously and that just observing those changes is incredibly poignant and uh, really mind-bending and, uh, and really heartfelt and in order to really fully engage a person like that, I need to make sure that the uh, intelligence and also the emotional intelligence um, and, you know, logical parts too and the ideas and all of it are really going in. So, yeah, I take my job pretty seriously. And that shows in your work. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's a different, like I said, we said earlier, being different. It's a comic book for thinkers. For people who, are, like you said, have that intelligence level, a certain thing. And you said something earlier about how you don't pay attention when you go for a walk and all of a sudden you realize, holy crap, it's really beautiful out here. And I understand exactly what you're saying because I've had some of those moments in my life because we as a society are too busy just going, 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 never pay attention and, and enjoy anything. Uh, your book, like I said, I had to read it and struggle a little bit with it, but I went back, like Justin said. And then you start to really grasp and you're like, this is very good. 
the thing I wanted to say is you also assist with the, the little notes you write and you have in the panels. And it's very helpful. And it does add to the experience of reading the comic. And that, that's a nice touch. I just wanted to tell you that. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's something that I feel I really needed to include because, again, it comes back to the widening of the overall experience. Um, I want to make sure that uh, the people who are reading this thing are uh, finding new possibilities. It's something that comics at their best did for me, especially when talking, uh, when reading works of people like Greg Morrison or Warren Ellis. Um, you know, um, examples would be something like The Invisibles and Transmetropolitan um, or Preacher and, you know, like discovering Bill Hicks because of that scene in Preacher, etc., etc. These things are really, really important. It's how we connect with the world. Art is way of talking to each other. Um, art is communication. And I am very aware of that. And the idea of turning art into something less than that, um, into turning it into um, just a means to an end in terms of profit or, you know, not that it shouldn't make me money. I totally freaking want to make it a ton of money, everything that I do, but <laughs> it, it can come together. There don't have to be these false divisions that we as people often put between um, each other and put upon our work and put upon our lives. And I hope that what I do somehow contributes to um, taking those things, taking those separations away and showing that uh, everything really actually is pretty connected. I think that the book you've done the most work on that kind of shows that is Zero. Uh, I've been reading Zero since the very beginning and I completely and totally love it. And I like that every single issue is something completely different than the issue that came before. And there's some issues in there that are just so, I don't know, emotionally impactful uh, to me specifically, that uh, it's, it's become one of my favorite series that's ongoing right now. And uh, one of my favorite scenes, uh, which, you know, I'm, I'm a big comic book reader, so I love all the fight stuff, uh, is the scene where Edward Zero is fighting the guys in the elevator. And there's not a whole lot of dialogue, but it's just a really brutal, really well choreographed fight scene. And it's totally different than anything I've ever seen you do before. Mm-hmm. So it shows a lot of diversity, and I really just, I'm such a fan Thank you. That fight scene and that entire issue was um, something that... I wonder if I've done like a straight-up fight scene before. I mean, I've done little bits and pieces here and there, and we've done a great fight scene in the issue four of Zero, but this was a much more close-quarters thing, which I guess I haven't really done before. Um, It comes from... Well, one, it comes from experience with fighting, and two, it comes from um, The Raid uh, by Gareth <laughs> Evans, uh, which I watched, and there was the, those were like those were the best stunts I've seen since Jackie Chan movies, and uh, they were incredibly precisely executed, and they were real. Like um, I've seen a bit of what fights look like and what they feel like, and um, that was really close, and I feel that it's very important to really convey what fighting is like if I'm if I'm making a fight be a part of uh, any sort of media experience that I'm focusing on because it's nasty. 
And it's fucking brutal. And it's not necessarily uh, going to make anyone feel good. It doesn't. It's just it's just not part of the deal except for the adrenaline rush after and, you know, the possibility of survival. Um, comic industry, and not just comic industry, but really American cultural industry for so long, and this, of course, connects with the American government too, promoted fighting as um, and war as a way of solving problems, which is a part of why we have massive fucking problems with violence, including, you know, Charleston last night and so on. Um, there's, a, there's a certain code to being an artist that I'm not interested in imposing on anyone else, but for me personally... It means standing long lines of people like uh, Orwell, who were decidedly anti-violence unless absolutely necessary. So when I depict violence, it needs to be brutal, it needs to be ugly. Is it also beautiful? Yes, of course it is, because, you know... Once you read, uh, once you read people like Rimbaud and Baudelaire, you realize that there's a lot of beauty and ugliness, and you know that will inevitably change your worldview. Also, it might happen in a completely different way. For example, getting lost in the swamp when you're nine. I had both experiences, so I can tell. Um, but seeing that beauty and depicting it without glorifying it is a really tough act. But I know that it can be done. So that's that was my approach to it. And um, it was about the viscerality and the immediacy of it. Yeah. Well, you definitely captured in that fight scene because it felt very intense. I mean, it was... I mean, we read a lot of comics and we've talked to a lot of artists and a lot of people. But that was... It was super intense. It was and, incredibly memorable. Yeah. It's something we didn't forget and it's something that stuck with us. And my co-host will probably tell you a little bit more how Zero has kind of defined this show in a certain way. Because some of the stuff you've done in it, we've some of the stuff in Zero has been memorable to this show. <laughs> well, we had uh, Steve Orlando, who I know you were friends with, on the show. Yeah, I know Steve. Yeah, yeah, we had him on very early on, and uh, we were talking about Zero because we had chosen it as our uh, top book for the week, mm-hmm. and it was the yeah. issue where I can't remember the girl's name, but she gets her arm cut off in the teleporter. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we started joking about using hashtag the arm as kind of our thing for the show, and. Since the show started, we've kind of used hashtag the arm in homage to you and to that one scene and to the whole start of us doing interviews with with different writers and whatnot. Uh, and it's all because we had Steve on and all because Zero was our pick of the week that week. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Steve keeps it going, too. <laughs> I had no idea that people liked my book. Um, I mean, I have some idea, but it's always really... It- it's always new to me when someone tells me that they like it because somehow in my head I don't spend much time thinking about them reading it. Not that I don't want people to read it. It's just that, you know, for some reason it always feels new. So thank you for telling me. Um, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. We're nearing the end. We're at the last issue. Actually, I should send you the last issue. Um, you can read it later. Um, you can have it a week early. Thank you. That would be awesome. Um, doing that right now. Go on, ask me more questions. (laughs) Seeing how everything means so much to you and how much you put into it, blood, sweat, and tears, and ideals, and everything you put into it, your passion, is material going to be the book that you feel defines everything you want to say? Or is there another book coming that's going to be like, it's going to be like your entire soul is in this book and you've like put it all out there? No book is ever going to define everything I want to say. Gotcha. I think. Um, 
I don't think it's possible because I'm in constant flux and constant process of you know change and renewal and death. As we all are, we are all going to die one day, and uh, possibly, at least, maybe not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't really see life that way. I don't see it. I'm not struggling towards some um, final destination when uh, you know everything's finally gonna make sense. I'm, I'm like definitely aiming towards certain things, and sometimes I feel like you know it's a bit of a struggle, and sometimes I feel like I've nailed something perfectly, but. No, I feel like everything I do is uh, partially fueled by desire for self-discovery and interaction with the world. So as long as I'm hitting those two things, and as long as I hit my own uh, parameters of um, excellence, which I don't always, but I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to being really happy with my work. Um, Yeah, as that happens... If that happens, and it feels like it is happening, I'm happy, or, or at least pretty content with what I do. That was deep. <laughs> I'm just saying. Good for you. Man, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in awe, actually. I'm just like, wow, okay. It's refreshing. I, I like that you try new things in a lot of your books. I mean, most recently we read The Surface Issue 3, yes. which came out yesterday. And that oh my, you read the head fuck, huh? Okay. <laughs> that last page where you have the character reference you as the writer was pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the fun part. I didn't plan that. Huh. So how did, like, it, how did it come about? Well, I don't know. It's not exactly right, right to say that the most things I do I don't plan, but there are so many things that I um, write that I just sort of have to allow to make to take their own shape as I go because um, for example most of the surface uh, the first and second issue was written almost two years ago and then it was drawn and then it was significantly rewritten by me and issue three I had to write the third issue to something I wrote two years ago and I was completely disinterested in half of what I was doing in those first two issues for that particular story but at the same time, I knew that it wouldn't be right and that it wouldn't be honest if I would just um, dump everything thematically and plot-wise and just, you know, and character-wise and just do something else because I feel like that would be sort of shitty unless I really did it in a spectacular way. Uh, but I didn't feel like that. I felt like merging both of those approaches. And I was just exploring, and the book is very much a vehicle for self-exploration. And I went... What really works here? And what's, what is the thing that I'm doing? What am I after? And the thing is, I don't know. I'm at the end of the third issue. Um, I'm going to write the fourth issue sometime, probably in the next four weeks, which means it's probably going to be pretty late. But when it's going to come out, I think it's going to be pretty great. And I have no idea what I'm going to write. I have a lot of notes. I have a lot of ideas. But I don't know until I confront the page. And that's really amazing because I essentially get paid to do something that is um, where so much of my job is improvisation. And I don't mean uh, some sort of a shitty, lazy improvisation where I just sort of go and put pages on paper in a day and, you know, say whatever I don't need to look at it second time. No, what I mean is I need to, I need to work to reflect who I am in the present. And in order to do that, I have to dig deep. And in order to dig deep, these things take uh, various paths, sometimes very strange ones, and I can't really know them ahead. Another good case of that would be um, 
me putting uh, the Jorge Luis Borges references into Secret Avengers, where I knew that it made sense in some way, on some level, heart-wise for me, but I had no idea how it connected to the story, not consciously. I just knew that if I have it there and if I keep my mind on it, sooner or later I will figure it out. But it's this sort of a process of taking these major leaps without necessarily knowing. So is that how you came up with the whole Modoc and Maria Hill love story? Um, sort of, yeah. I didn't necessarily, yeah, I didn't plan that much. It was just like the character was saying these things, and I was realizing, wow, there's something. Why is he saying all these things? Is there some sort of a reasoning behind that that I don't see right now? And I'm like, oh, he's in love with her. <laughs> I never saw that coming. It completely caught me off guard, uh, but it made a whole lot of sense once I did finally read it. So I get what you're saying. That's awesome because I didn't, I didn't know. Like I had no idea, you know. I was like, "What? <laughs> like, that's pretty damn cool." <laughs> well, we've talked we talked a lot about the series you've been doing, but we have we know you have another series coming up called Wolf, uh, which we don't know hardly anything about. We saw the preview of it in the back of some other image books that came out this week, but it doesn't really give you much to go on. It's just the guy walking down the street on fire. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what Wolf is going to entail? Um, sure. Um, Wolf is about private investigator who specializes in the paranormal called Antoine Wolf. Um, Antoine has a gift that's sort of, depending on who you ask, is either a gift or a curse, meaning he can see a lot of things around him that other people can't see. We really see about 3% of electromagnetic spectrum, and he sees something like 7 to 10. So he sees werewolves, he sees vampires, he sees... Sakibai, he says various things that we don't. And he lives in L.A., which is already weird on its own, but on top of that, yeah, he sees things that most other people would not necessarily know how to deal with. And the entire book really starts with him burning on top of the hill while wearing a straitjacket. So it sort of goes from there. Uh, it's a crime, it's a dark crime noir horror fantasy book. Um, it's funny, too. It's actually funny. I'm actually feeling confident in saying that that, that there are funny parts in the book. Um, it actually has something in common with things like Hellboy, in that um, combination of Lovecraftian horror and uh, this irreverent feeling underneath and around the edges. And it's about... You know, without spoiling too much, it's about him finding a girl who uh, is 13 and lost her parents and might be uh, key to uh, an impending apocalypse. Um, I would say in terms of things that it might sort of feel similar to, um, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, um, James Ellroy, um, True Detective, all these things are sort of... Uh, these, yeah, they're they're not necessarily building stones, but they're connected. You know, things like Sandman, Neil Gaiman's work, um, or Hellblazer. Uh, there's a lot of the feel of Hellblazer in this because Wolf is essentially a street magician. Um, those things are really, really in its DNA, and I'm just looking at the first issue, uh, which we finally put together. And uh, we're getting ready to send it out soon. And I'm really, really happy about it. It's 
it's a very, very atmospheric book with a really good core, and it's a massive first issue, too. Basically, the first issue is 60 pages long. Oh, wow. It's, wow. Just, it's just comics. It's like, I don't think... Um, no, let me stop myself before I sound like a douchebag. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy with it, and I think it's going to blow people's minds. I think that people are going to freak out about this. I'm on board. You had me at Supernatural. You had me at being able to see demons and all that stuff. Uh, we love horror comedies. Yeah. And, of course, being Hispanic that I am and having all that craziness in the background of me growing up, it, it's going to appeal to me. And the fact that you're in California kind of, you know, adds a little bit to it. Is it going to be like – is it going to primarily stay in California or is it going to be like material maybe go elsewhere? Is it just going to be centered right in there in the L.A. area? Yeah. Primarily it's really going to be in California. Cool. All right. Um, there's gonna be a there's gonna be a few bits and pieces where the book might travel elsewhere, but for most part, California. How come the uh, the first book is so massive? You just couldn't stop. It was just uh, it's just like all blended together and needed to all be together, or you just couldn't feel like breaking it up, or because you don't see too many books. I apologize. You don't see too many books that go that that size. Um, uh, it just comes down to just feeling it. You know, it was it was a definitely a case of just going, well, this feels right. We tried, um, first draft was 28 pages, second draft was 38 pages, and then I ended up with a book that was 60. So, yeah, that was the reason, really. I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, we're not hating on that, no. <laughs> I mean, you capture us, you're going to capture everyone, the guy's on fire, <laughs> right off the bat. So... When you read a book it's, like that, you don't want to stop reading at 20-something pages. You want to keep going. And you may get to those 60 pages and like, where's the rest? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's like um, – it's a book – I would love to actually just like put it out 60 page, pages per issue because I think that might be exactly the correct, the correct size. Of course, they will have to cost a different amount, but we made the first issue pretty reasonably priced. Um, it's four ninety nine, which is pretty decent. and It's not bad at all, no. No, yeah, exactly. That's what a Marvel book costs sometimes when it's 20 pages. Um, <laughs> and, that is true. <laughs> yeah, right, or a DC book for that matter. Um, just, you know, I'm an equal opportunity shit talker when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, what else is there to say about it? The art is gorgeous. Um, Matt Taylor, right? Yeah, like just looking at the comic, I'm going, you know, oh, this is amazing. This is exactly what I want from a comic right now. It's a, it's a good, big, fun book. I like it. We look forward to reading it. It sounds like, and again, not, not blowing any smoke here, but I honestly feel that Zero, and even we haven't even seen this book yet, Wolf, has potentially both could like be a show. I mean, what the kind of shows are releasing now. I mean, I'd love to see a Zero TV show, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I I love stuff like supernatural, paranormal type crime detective movies. I would love to see Wolf on TV. Oh, you would. Well, that's nice to hear. Thank you. So how did, you were saying? I was going to say, how did you get Matt? How did you pick Matt? Um, well, uh, to the subject of the TV and movie stuff, there's something in the works, but I can't say more. Um, and as far as Matt goes, well, I mean, I can say more about the Zero TV. Uh, show that is in development because that is a thing that's known but uh, yeah in regards to Wolf there's there's possibilities there's opportunities um, anyway in regards to Matt we worked together on Zero Seven and we were like working together and uh, it felt right to work together again and 
I'm glad he stayed on board because I've been really fucking bad with deadlines this year, which was not the case before. And uh, yeah, and he's basically drawing the. He's finishing up with the second issue right now. Um, it was just a case of feeling it and being very happy about it and about the collaboration and saying yes and doing that. I got you. I'm going to ask you one more question here, real quick, uh, in regards to Wolf. The way material works and the way, well, the way usually comic books work and Zero, how you have different arcs, is Wolf going to be broken down that way or is it just going to be like yeah. an ever, uh, just an ongoing story of the same journey? Of course, we'll see how long we go. It might be a case of going for four issues. It might be a case of going for 40 issues. We don't know. It, a lot of it depends on how many people will be buying the comic. If there's enough people buying the comic, I will be delighted to keep them on board for a long haul, and I'll be delighted to uh, you know run this comic for years. That's really the simplest answer to it. Is there a long-term story? Absolutely. Is there a short-term story, and do I want to make every single trait, every single arc really feel like it's a thing? Absolutely. It's always going to be four issues, um, likely, and that will always comprise one story arc. Cool. Well, we'll definitely do what we can. I mean, we tell our listeners and our friends, and a lot of people, I mean, they actually think we're kind of funny, and they actually take our recommendations and actually pick up the book. So we'll do everything we can uh, to help promote your book and everything else and tell people, hey, you need to go pick this up, and why aren't you reading? You'll see our tweets out there like, why aren't you reading this book? You need to go pick it up. Uh, and that's what we do. I mean, we're, we're goofy, funny kind of guys, and we try to do that stuff. <laughs> guys, thank you. I really appreciate that. We appreciate you putting out such great quality content and actually coming on our show. I mean, that's, yeah. that's we appreciate that kind of stuff. You're totally welcome. <laughs> All right, then, Justin. It's time to get funny. <laughs> Tell me a funny story. <laughs> this again. Yes. <laughs> You're up. Well, I don't know how funny this is, but uh, last week I ended up going to see Jurassic World on opening night. Yes! And I went with my co-host, Carrie, from the Adventures in Geekery video show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we shot a bunch of video footage afterwards, standing outside in front of the Jurassic Park cars. And we had all kinds of people coming up and saying, you know, oh, I recognize your voice. And, oh, do you do this show and that show? And it was kind of weird to have people coming up and, and knowing us from our podcast, but it was also pretty cool. So we finished recording, and I get in the car, and I'm heading home, and it's already like 1130 at night. I have to get up and go to work the next morning. And I'm exhausted because I haven't slept much. I took my wife to the airport that morning at 4 a.m. Uh, so I'm speeding. You know, <laughs> there's, there's no other way to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. I was driving too fast. You know, speed limit was 65. I was going like 80. Uh, so I'm flying down the road heading towards the house. And there's a bunch of cars in the right lane. And they're all going the speed limit or maybe even slower. And it's kind of annoying me. So I, I pull over in the left lane and I speed past them all. And sure enough, at the front of that line of cars was a state trooper. Uh-oh. And he turns on his lights, and I was like, oh, man. So I pull off onto the shoulder, and he, he gets out of the car and comes up to me. And I had a, a, a moment of genius to just say that I had to go to the bathroom. Nice. <laughs> so the cop comes up, and he knocks on my passenger side window. I roll down, and I start shaking. You know, I start doing the, the potty dance, you know, bouncing up and down. Uh -huh. And he's like, are you okay, sir? And I was like, I really have to pee. I'm sorry, but that's, that's, why you, that's where I'm going. And he's like, oh. He's like, where are you coming from? I said, well, I just went to see Jurassic World, and I drank a big soda, and I got to get home. I, I really got to go to the bathroom. He's like, oh. He's like, you want to see the movie by yourself? And I was like, yeah. He's like, that's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, it is what it is. He's like, well, hang on a second. He walks away, and he comes back, and he says, I'm going to give you a warning, uh, but 
you know, there's a, there's a shell station right over there. You can go to the bathroom over there. He's like, drive safe, hands me my card back. And of course I went to the shell station and went inside and pretended to pee because <laughs> you gotta, you gotta act it up. But nice. Uh, state troopers never give warnings. As far as I know, I've, I've never gotten a warning from a state trooper before. Nobody I know has gotten a warning from a state trooper before. I mean, Heather's gotten pulled over and she cried and no sympathy whatsoever. But apparently if you tell him you got to pee, it'll work. Must have felt that pain before. <laughs> or he just felt sorry for you that you went to the movie by yourself. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was. I'm not sure if he felt bad for me or if it was just the fact that I had to go to the bathroom. But, he went uh, back to his car like, I got a loser here on <laughs> <laughs> loser. <laughs> But that's my funny story. Nice. So shake like you got to pee. He was probably wondering if you were on crack or something. Yeah, hopped up on energy drinks or something. Oh, yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> lucky. It's not terribly funny, but it's the most recent thing that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what about you, Alesh? Do you have a uh, funny story for us? Well, speaking of peeing, actually, <laughs> um, because I had absolutely nothing, but what you or what you just said actually brought up a story brought up something I remember which is that when I was very young, I think I was like six or something I was um, guarded by uh, this uh, far away cousin who was very much like, uh, you know, hated the fact that he had to take care of me and uh, was like constantly trying to make sure that I would you know, die a horrible death or at least not be around him at all and he was like, you know, 13 or whatever and um, I was supposed to be helping them out in the garden, and they had this massive garden, and there was like a, you know, there, and they had like a whole uh, winery section, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, anyway, the part of the garden was very much a, uh, a vineyard. And what happened was I was helping out just like taking these weird grassy things things out and I'm realizing they're really to pee and there's people everywhere around so I go to a cousin and of course you know being six and very naive and thinking everyone loves me and I love everyone so you know everything's going to be okay I'm like hey I really really need to pee and he's like that's okay just like walk through those you know massive bushes that you can sort of see um on the far end and it's going to be perfectly fine uh so I walk um, through this massive bush and I'm just like not even looking around myself. I just walk straight through it and uh, I'm at the other end and I start peeing. And then all of a sudden I start feeling weirdly itchy. And that's when I realized that I'm basically half naked in stinging nettle. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, the, the dick totally sent me straight there. <laughs> And uh, and knew exactly what he was doing, and uh, yeah, that hurt. So you you just unearthed uh, a deep seated trauma from my childhood. Basically, <laughs> I hope you're happy. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, I couldn't pee for two years. And just, <laughs> and again, um, so thanks for that. Um, yeah, how's that? I'll make you feel good. This knucklehead over here put icy hot on his. <laughs> <laughs> that was my funny story from from last week uh i had an icy hot spray because my knees were acting up and i sprayed and it kind of wafted up and ended up on my sensitive areas and it was a problem <laughs> i've since made the switch to an icy hot roller and i no longer have that problem <laughs> it's terrible <laughs> that is pretty horrible guys <laughs> all right i'm gonna have to go so thank you very much for the podcast. It was pretty amazing. Thank you for coming on. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. 
Uh, yeah, I'm really happy with it too. And enjoy Zero AP, and it should be in your inbox by now. I'll be reading it later tonight. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for coming on. And uh, hit us back up when uh, Wolf comes out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank right. you. Take care, sir. Have a great night. You bye. Too. You too. Bye. Well, that was a lot of fun talking to Alesh. Yes, it was. Very insightful. Very intelligent man. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm glad he came on. I felt stupid. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't you feel that way most of the time? No, do not, sir. I'm actually quite intelligent, you bastard. I know you <laughs> No, no. It was very fresh. It was an interesting take on how he writes and why he writes the way he does and how much of his soul he puts into his books. And that's that's... I mean, a lot of artists do that, but he goes the extra distance, as we heard from talking to him. So that's pretty damn cool. I agree. It was a lot of fun to pick his brain. But uh, we should move on, because we got a few more things to cover on this episode. Okay. Uh, first up, we got to talk about our sponsor. So if you've not heard, we're sponsored now by Bedrock City Comics here in Houston, Texas. And uh, their website is bedrockcity.com, where you can go and you can purchase any apparel, hats, shirts, scarves, belts, whatever. Underwear. Underwear. Uh, <laughs> panties and you use the promo code bedrock to get 20 percent off all apparel purchases so it's a pretty good deal yeah it is you know you can get anything you want to wear sci-fi fantasy or comics related hey do we get to use that code too yeah we definitely can i just want to make sure so uh <laughs> you know and if you're in houston you want to go stop at one of their stores they have five different locations good lord and actually at their washington store on june 28th from 12 to 5 p.m they're doing a special event uh, they're having a friend of the show, Matt Frank, show up to sign copies of his last issue of Godzilla Rulers of Earth. It's Godzilla. And also do sketches and whatnot. So uh, if you're going to be in Houston, come by the Washington store June 28th and meet Matt Frank. <laughs> Pretty bad Godzilla there. I can't do it anymore. I don't know what that was. <laughs> that was me trying to meet Godzilla. <laughs> Terrible. Right. Maybe you should actually put the real Godzilla scream in there. <laughs> uh, I think I'll leave yours. because No. <laughs> so uh, again, June 28th. 12 to 5 p.m. at the Washington location, bedrockcity.com. Go see Matt Frank and us. That's right. We'll be there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so moving along, we got uh, this week's comics, movies, and TV news. What do you want to talk about first? I'm still hyped up from Jurassic World. I want some movie news. Movie news. Okay, so this is not really news, uh, but it's something that's going on right now. Ron Perlman is apparently rallying people on Twitter to try to get Hellboy 3 made. Yeah, I know. I retweeted that. So let's go, Ron, you and me. So he's asking people to retweet his original tweet about getting it made uh, just to kind of show the studios that there's enough of a demand for it. So if you were ever a fan of Hellboy and you'd like to see the movie get made before Ron Perlman's so old, he's like walking with a walker, uh, <laughs> go on there, find his tweet, and retweet it. Dude, Ron Perlman's going to kick your ass. I mean, he even said in, in his own interview that he might be in a wheelchair before too much longer. <laughs> so. But, you know, it does need a trilogy. It does. you got to end it that way. I agree. You know, hashtag save Constantine didn't work, but maybe whatever hashtag he's using to uh, create Hellboy 3 might. I got you. So go out there and support that. I already did. Nice. Uh, next, Jack Houston has apparently left the Crow remake uh, because of apparent scheduling conflicts. Huh. So he was the one that was cast as the main character of the Crow. I thought you told me he got killed or something. No. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen again. I know. <laughs> too soon? It might be too soon. Oh, I, hey, I was a Brandon Lee fan. It's just terrible, man. Yeah, it was. It was really a tragedy. Uh, so kind of sad Jack Houston's leaving. I actually really like him as an actor. But Who's up next? I don't know. We'll find out, I guess. Huh. Uh, you're going to like this one. Okay. Uh, Denny's is the official restaurant partner of the Fantastic Four movie, and they're going to be offering the Slamtastic Four menu, which includes such hits as the Human Torch Skillet, the Thing Burger, Whoa. And the Invisible Woman Slam. I need anything called a thing burger. 
That's kind of, oh no, <laughs> who the hell wrote this? <laughs> they haven't announced uh, what they're going to be calling their Dr. Doom or Mr. Fantastic item yet, but uh, with such quality names as the Thing Burger, you can only imagine. Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to go just to see. <laughs> Check it out, Justin, I got the Thing Burger. <laughs> if you do, you'll definitely have to tweet it. Of course, <laughs> and I can hear the bad stuff coming out already. <laughs> well, that's it That's it for movies. Uh, what do you want to move on to, comics or TV? I want some TV. TV. So there's only one thing for TV. Damn. Uh, Arrow Season 3 and The Flash Season 1 are both going to be coming to DVD, and they have a release date now, which is September 22nd, 2015. Nice. So I know we're all waiting on pins and needles to pick up those Blu-rays. Now you got a date, and you know when to go get them. Of course. First in line. <laughs> so I guess we'll move on to comics. Yes, comics. Uh, this is actually kind of interesting. Okay. San Diego Comic-Con has officially banned a few items from being brought into the commission this year. No porn. Well, I think that's still allowed, but okay. uh, the items that they're banning are selfie sticks, <laughs> Google Glass, e-cigs, and whoa, whoa, vapes. Whoa, 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 whoa. What the hell's a what? Google Glass. Never heard of that. What the Those hell is that? Google Glasses that can record people and like can connect to the internet and you can do shit with them. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. They're I didn't know that. They're banning those because they don't want people recording or live streaming what's going on there. Nobody can vape. Nobody can vape. Nobody can use e-cigs. And nobody can fly drones around the convention center this year. So They actually I, had that going on last year? I guess year? that was a problem last year. <laughs> so if you're planning on attending San Diego this year, uh, keep that in mind. You cannot bring any of those items. Maybe they should have the drones flying outside the damn building so they make sure people don't get attacked. It's not a bad idea. Know what I'm saying? I know I know what you were saying. I'm glad you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, we got our first look at the new Wonder Woman costume this week in issue 41 of the series. Uh, did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. What do you think? It's okay. I like it. You know, it's a full-body costume instead of just the bathing suit that she's so well-known for, but uh, it's, it's a pretty good design. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in picking up the first appearance of this new costume, which I don't know why you wouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's where you can go to get it, issue Perf. 41. Uh, something that I find kind of funny and interesting, uh, two smaller independent companies, Devil's Due and One First Comics, have merged. And uh, they're going to be releasing their very first flagship title, which is going to be a revival of the 1980s indie hit, The Badger. You remember The Badger from the 1980s? No. He was kind of Deadpool light. Really? <laughs> yeah. Badger, 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 not, badger. Not like that. Not like Mushroom. that. Mushroom. But I have a bunch of Badger comics in my in my box in there. Are you uh, serious? I do, yeah. I have to break those out so I can uh, check it out one day. So I'm, I'm kind of excited for this tentatively. I mean, I want to check it out and see what they do in 2015 because it's not really the same era as it was back then, but huh. uh, we'll see. So what did the company change their name to? One Devil? One Devil. <laughs> devil first. <laughs> I don't know. They haven't, they haven't said what the official new title of the company is. Horns up. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> But that's pretty much it for news. Wow. Very short week of news today. Very short week. Huh. So I uh, want to remind everybody, follow us on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash comical podcast. Or you can follow us on Twitter, where I'm at comical podcast. I'm at comical podcast, too. And Alesh is not here. But if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Alesh, A-L-E-S underscore K-O-T. Alesh Cott. Gotcha. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at, at Comical Podcast as well. And uh, if you want to listen to the show and you listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher, please leave us a five-star review. Uh, there's a couple other places you can find us, though. You can find us on nerdbung.com, wickedradionetwork.com, beyondthedawnradio.com, or on lightningradio.com, where our show airs every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Woohoo! So check us out. Thanks for supporting the show. And uh, as always, keep on laughing, bitches. <laughs>